0: Hey, welcome to the It Starts With You podcast. My name is Sam Adams. I am known as the Real Life Coach, and this is a podcast that is all about exploring ourselves, about us taking ownership for our lives, taking responsibility, and our experiences and our journeys into that. I get to speak to some amazing guests and some just all-round downright inspirational awesome human beings. Plus there's the few episodes of me just sharing my experiences of life and maybe some stuff from coaching my clients. If you want to find out more about me please head to my website sam-adams.com. Okay that's it from me, here comes your episode.
1: I've got it somewhere, Um, the actual podcast will not go out until February and obviously I'll share the link with you so that hopefully you can promote it um in February (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah this is the real uh I'm called Sam Adams I'm the real life coach and this podcast is called It Starts With You it's quite a I gave it that title so that it sort of it was quite general because I believe life starts with us, first and foremost ourselves and taking responsibility for who we are and our actions. And therefore, it would give me the ability to talk to many different people um, from many different backgrounds, which it has done. And I'm really, really pleased about that Um, because I'm a big believer in us taking responsibility for our lives um, and how we show up um, ultimately. That's the first starting point. But anyway, the whole reason I asked you to come on here, Lou, is because... I wanted to do something around the LGBTQ+ plus community. Um, I'm a massive sports fan myself. It's pretty much saved my life many times over, and um, I just I just thought, well, what can I do? Is there something else I can do around my podcast, around sport to do to do with this? Because I know for me, um, sport kind of saved my life, but also I stepped away from some sport. for for just because of my sexuality, because of the color of my skin and how I looked and all of those things. And um, the lovely Brighton and Hope City Council commissioned a piece of work for me to do some videos um, for LGBTQ History Month in February. And that's where I kind of had the idea of why don't I just do a series for my podcast. Um, Not only because I want to help spread the message and get the message out there about inclusion and that sport is for everyone and it is transformational for us, or it can be. But also, I think a little bit about education for myself and for the the wider world. So that's a little bit of my preamble. But please, um, I wonder if you do me the favour, Lou, of introducing yourself, who you are, what you do, and and yeah, is that okay?
2: Yeah, of course. So I'm Lou Englefield. I am a director of an organisation based in the UK called Pride Sports and we are an lgbt iq plus sports development and inclusion organization um, so we work to make sport and physical activity more accessible to lgbt iq plus people and um, to also improve people's experience when they're taking part in sport and physical activity as well yeah because i think there's been a bit of confusion over the years about You know, know, and certainly the sports councils quite rightly want to focus their time on people who are inactive and getting people active. Um, But they also want to focus on when people are active, that they actually have a good time. And I think those are kind of two areas that particularly affect the community that we work with. Um, There are barriers in place to people taking part in mainstream sport. Um, But there are also issues about our enjoyment when we're there and how many compromises we have to make uh, in mainstream sporting environments to feel that we fit and feel like we belong. And, um, you know, my my big thing um, is that sport is, you you know, as you said, sport can be incredibly powerful. But in my experience, sport can be the absolute best thing in the world. But it can equally be the absolutely worst thing in the world, Uh, because if you think about it, you know, particularly something like team sport. You know, I've now read more and more, you know, certainly at a grassroots level accounts of people talking about sports saving their lives, you know, um, queer people talking about sports saving their lives. Um, but at the same time, I also read loads of accounts of people involved in team sports who felt totally excluded, um, who's, you, you know, who felt utterly miserable, utterly targeted uh, by their peers in sports. So some research came out from Europe last year um, that showed there were really, really high levels of people hearing homophobia and transphobia in sport. And a really large number of people that they heard that abuse from were their teammates so it was either their coaches you know the yeah. people who was there who have a duty of care to look after them or like their teammates you know the people that you are yeah. working with it's like you, you know if we if we apply that to any other kind of environment it would be ridiculous how would we be productive as colleagues if Mm. we abused each other all the time you know how how can we think that we will can be the best we can be which is what inclusion is ultimately about Mm. if we are hearing abuse you know wow so um so yeah
1: well that's incredible That you know that study and it shows you know that's where the the bullying abuse uh teammates and coaches and yeah, like you say, where else would you, you know, you would go to? You, you know, I think about some of the jobs that I've had in the past and that. And whilst it's been uncomfortable and I felt uncomfortable about who I am and how I show up, um, I didn't go and get a load of abuse. Um, you know, but I, I guess football probably stands out in terms of the locker, locker room banter,
3: um, yeah.
1: but it yeah. can be very painful. Um, yeah. So you, you work for Pride Sports. You also are you your director for? Um, uh, effort, um, football against homophobia as well. well.
2: So basically, football versus homophobia is a campaign that was set up initially by a group of activists in Brighton, um, who were no called the Just. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Brighton. Um, I live in Brighton, so. <laughs> um, a group of activists in Brighton um, who formed an organisation, a small organisation called the Justing Campaign. And they realized fairly quickly that at that time, football needed a campaign that did what it said on the tin, in the way that around that time, Kick It Out's brand had always been kick racism out of football. We needed needed something that that actually spoke to the issues that were being experienced in football at the time for LGBTIQ plus people. So they set up football versus homophobia, and there were three brands: football versus homophobia, football versus biphobia, and football versus transphobia. But the main brand that was taken up by football was football versus homophobia. And very quickly the campaign became really, really big. And um, the folks involved with the Justin campaign were all volunteers. They all had full-time jobs doing other stuff. And, um, and the campaign just became too much, I think, really. So Pride Sports um, stepped in um, after kind of like year one. And and we had a couple of seasons where we worked alongside um, a volunteer from Justin campaign to deliver, continue to grow the campaign. And then after a couple of seasons, we just took it over ourselves. So I'm now the campaign director for Football Versus Homophobia. But again, that's we that is run mainly voluntarily, you know, so um, most of the work is done by our core team. They're all volunteers. They all have jobs doing other very high powered things. (laughs) Um, But then we come together to to deliver Football Versus Homophobia, which is an international campaign, basically, which does what it says um and then um and then in my spare time um um i'm also i'm um, on the board of um an organization called Pride House International which supports the delivery of pride houses at mega sports events so, that's have wow, wow. got any spare time <laughs> well i know and actually then i've just realized that i've also missed off another role which is um i'm on the board of the fair network which is football's anti-discrimination network globally so it's a network of ngos around the world that are working to tackle all forms of discrimination in football so there we go that's me that's my cv wow. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> I'm exhausted. I feel like I'm not doing enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, a little bit, a little bit more personal. Then I guess, uh, aside, you know, from the, from all of the roles that you do and the job
2: that you do. So, do you have an own personal sports background? Were you involved in sports Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I was involved in 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 sport and thing is sports a funny word isn't it so um so sports slash physical activity so i came from a family that was kind of very outdoorsy we like i grew up rurally so we used to do a lot of walking you know i can remember one of one of my earliest memories and i must have been really quite young i think was um walking up Snowdon with my parents we were camping camping in and my parents I was so young and uh, my parents had to hire walking boots for us because, you know, we hadn't got our own or anything. So that was one of my kind of like earliest memories is, is doing that as a family. And then, we, um, and then I grew up on the south coast of England and we sailed as a family. So when I was, I started sailing, I think when I was about eight or nine mm. and just in this tiny little hilarious boat that we practically got from a jumble sail. And um, and I was kind of, uh, and also by then I was even, uh, you know, I it, it used to sink, you know, like you'd go about, you'd go out, you sail, and then you'd go about, which, you know, means the boat turns round, basically. Yeah. And during the point where the boat turns round, you have to kind of shift sides of the boat. So you know, there I was as a kind of quite a large nine-year-old, and I dive <laughs> over to the other side of the boat, and then and then water would start coming in. So that was dangerous. Um, I, I just thought, I'm a water person. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know. So anyway, we then kind of like got bigger and bigger and bigger with our boats, but we did like crazy things as a family. Like um, we once went sailing to the Isle of Wight. You know, on 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 a a day boat, a day boat that's called a Wayfarer. I think it's about sixteen foot. There right. was me, my sister, my mum, my dad, a frame tent, all our camping equipment for like two weeks, and our dog. And we just, we just sailed off to the Isle of Wight. It's like you know, you now look on that, and you think you'd never do that these days. You How know? Was it? Hey, hey. Where um, did you go from? Where, we from? we went, from? went from a place called Hythe in Southampton Water. Yeah, yeah no. So, hives, no hives. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of just sailed up Southampton Water and then over to the Isle of Wight. I think our first stop was maybe Benbridge or something, Benbridge, yeah, Benbridge yeah. Harbour. And I can't remember how long it took, but it was about, you know, all in all, it was about, you know, it was a day trip. And then we just sailed round the sort of, you know, um, inland shores of the Isle of Wight for two weeks and camped and had an amazing time. So we did that kind of stuff as a family i also played hockey at school and for our local club as well um and um and you you know and later on um played things like um football and um you know so i've always done a bit of something you know i've always been very active but not always very sporty um did some basketball for um at sixth form college and then basically in my um 40s um that was um uh, the sport that i returned to and i had about um was it my 40s maybe my late 30s but anyway um so myself and one of another director of pride sports who was um, um who's from barcelona and is a runner you know a very very good runner um, middle distance runner she had played basketball as a child and one year at, at Manchester Pride we discovered that we'd both played basketball in our youth and we decided to set up a basketball team so we did we,
0: we launched,
2: we launched um, a queer basketball club in Manchester that the, when it was first launched was called slam dunking divas as, an, <laughs> uh, as a joke it's it's now called something really serious but 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 we we had a great sense of humor and um and basically there were for the first year there were kind of like five of us and we trained every week we paid a huge amount of money for the court hire and um and then at the end of the year we went to the World Out Games in Copenhagen, amazing. Um, and uh, got absolutely destroyed in the basketball tournament by loads of giants from like Scandinavia, it was absolutely brilliant.
3: So, yeah, yeah, totally,
2: totally, and you know, the best of that for me is the kind of best of sport, really. And and that club has grown and gone on. They've now got two teams that play in the local league. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, and and by the time I left, we were playing in the league, and I was regularly getting a kind of a slot on the court. So, you know, it, it I developed as a sports person. You know, even in my forties, mm. you know, playing against, you know, pe- playing against women young women who just come out of school and and stuff but you know we did okay we kind of you know while i was still there we we kind of got a bronze medal in in our local um league tournament and stuff so yeah good times brilliant
1: so, so what, what so obviously yeah, been quite what, 40, 40, 40, 40 or active we say i think um you know, what led, what came first, Pride Sports? Was that the first organisation involved in around see people in sport and things like that? What led, what was the process for that? Did you, was it
3: your experience
1: yeah. with sport
2: or being active or what was it? No, basically it's the most circuitous thing really, I suppose. So, um, so what happened to me was before I worked for Pride Sports, I started off working in social housing that was what I did kind of like when I left uni um, and, um, and I really quickly became self-employed and I worked for about eight years as a um, self-employed um, consultant working in the not-for-profit sector. I did a lot of fundraising and kind of um, organisational development, training, those kinds of things um, um, with not-for-profits. Um, and, um, and then, um, I, I, I finished that role, um, m- uh, made a physical move, moved to Manchester, uh, took a couple of, uh, years out because, um, I adopted my second child. Uh, so I took a couple of years out to look after her. And then when I was ready to go back into work, a job became available. Um, that was just, uh, you know, like a, a, half a week job. Um, working um, with a charity um, mm. that was called the Gay Healthy Alliance Project, and I was uh, the strategic director there for about three years, I think. Mm. And um, and it was in that role that I started to see a need for work to be done around sport and physical activity, really. Mm. And I can't remember whether it was it it was um, whether it was that. During that period, or my first year at Pride Sports, it might have been my first year at Pride Sports. I'm not sure. That um, I was trying to book a venue for a residential weekend for um, a group of um, a group of gay men, and they were going to do some kind of outdoor pursuity stuff. Um, over a weekend and I tried to book a venue and basically the venue was just not returning my calls and then when they did they told me that they'd have a look into the bookings uh, but they didn't know whether it would be suitable for us to hire the venue because there were children on the site. So and this was obviously before the um, you know before the Equality Act um probably before the sale of goods act and, and that kind of protective legislation mm. and there were a series of incidents where i started to understand <clears throat> the kind of issues that we were facing in sport and physical activity wow, wow. <laughs> so yeah. What
1: was, yeah was that yeah. That, really that was about
2: it was probably around i i imagine 2006 2005, 2006, 2007. That's that kind of time, really. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I'm getting on a bit. So that's not. <laughs> that's not. Doesn't feel on on some levels. You know, that feels like forever ago. You yeah, know? I've got children, so I see them grow. You know, and I realize actually for young people that's a really long time ago. But for me, you know, what's that? 14 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. doesn't sound that
1: long ago, does it? No. 70s, think, wow, really? Yeah, 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 totally. It's not that long ago at all, really, when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, how how do you? I mean, how do you see these organisations growing? How do you get? How are you getting your message out there? You know, all the homophobia. You know that's something i know i know and i've heard of but obviously i've heard of it and i know of it but maybe somebody that's not listening to this who's listening to top us doesn't understand you know pride Sport or football against xenophobia maybe a little bit more about those two organizations and how you're trying to help um create awareness and who you're trying to help sure. and how anybody can help really that that might be listening and thinking actually you know what? actually maybe i could do more there's something i could do um
2: sure Okay, so um, so I, I, Pride Sports, we really there's kind of we have two kind of strategic um, focuses. One is around the um, the kind of um, the community sport and physical activity sector. So in the UK, there are hundreds of LGBTIQ plus sport and physical activity groups and practitioners. And part of our work is to support that sector. You know, we try to, so every year we will, you know, help organise our organisations out with like small loans or bits of advice and consultancy. promotion i mean it could be anything we've done things like from help organizations with some you know to develop their brand for example because my colleague jen is is very uh talented graphic designer so she's done some work with with groups in in that area to things like you know funding and you know maybe providing a like a, some bridging funding at the same time as giving people advice and information about how to raise that bring in their own funds um, Mm. and how to develop a kind of funding base that means that they're more sustainable. So we might do something like that. The other part of the work that we do is about working with mainstream sport and physical activity to ensure that it's more inclusive. So some of that stuff might be delivering educational sessions. So we deliver quite a lot of training to national governing bodies, to active partnerships, um, we also do things like um, we work, um, you know, we uh, develop policy advice. We work with Sport England, for example, um, <laughs> around their priorities in this area. Um, and we deliver some insight work. We ha- we've commissioned uh, various pieces of insight and produced um, pieces ourselves um, over the years. So a whole, a real kind of range of... Um, a, a range of activity then with football versus homophobia we see ourselves mainly as an education campaign right. so we do we, so we, with that there's a, there's a couple of kind of key areas so in february we run something called the football versus homophobia month of action yes. and we try and encourage football to come together at that time to um to send out a message of, message of inclusion But it's not just a campaign that's about, oh, you know, change your logo, do something symbolic. We also want people to actually take action. So for example, we have a campaign at the moment called FEH Grassroots, which is um, sponsored by Puma. And what we do is we ask Grassroots football clubs to come together in February. We give them a campaign pack that tells them uh, a couple of things one it tells them how to designate a game to the campaign and how to make the best of that locally using local media and using social media but what we also do as well is we give them ideas about how they can make their grassroots club more inclusive as well and we ask them as part of their action during february to do two things one to designate a game so you get the big kind of public coming together um, in february but secondly to take one action and to make a public pledge about that so right. say you know so it might just be as simple as making your coaches aware of what language is homophobic and what people will find offensive you know so yeah. it might be something as simple as that But it could be something uh, like, for example, access some training from football versus homophobia and understand fully how to make your club more inclusive. So Mm. it, it can be, depending on where a club is in its journey, it may be something like that. They may understand what homophobic language is, but they may need to actually make a commitment to going forward to ensuring that that language is always challenged by coaches you know in their training sessions in their games so um so what we try and do is we we try and use a visible campaign to make meaningful change i suppose and yes. we also work with um you know with uh we've worked with the professional game for a number of years as well we deliver quite a lot of training um and we also um and then we all have focus at the moment is very much on non-league football as well because we think that that is a bit, of that always gets overlooked, you know, we have yeah. grassroots, uh, there's a lot of focus on that, there's a lot of focus on, you know, the professional game, the EFL, the, the Premier League, but, you know, who's doing the work um, at a non-league level, and, for example, um, we have a youth panel, Um, As part of the campaign, um, a group of young people who meet and advise us and also deliver their own projects. And -hmm. um, and a couple of seasons ago, we asked them what, what we felt, what they felt our priority should be. And one of the things they said to us was, we feel that there's too much focus on the professional game. Or the full-time professional game, and not enough focus on on non-league football and the lower tiers and and grassroots. So that is that's an area that we have made um, you know made our focus. And internationally, we work at a whole range of different levels. So we work quite closely with the Fair Network, um, and um, for example, we, this February we're holding a joint um fair versus homophobia conference with them uh where we're bringing in speakers from all over the world to um to join panels um 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 to talk about some of the issues that we who, want who to who address into that then who who is talking into that then um well that conference um the um the pro- promotion for that will be going out sort of fairly soon mm-hmm. and that will be um advertised to practitioners around the world. So to people who work in football anywhere anywhere in the world. It's yeah. an opportunity for them to to come and listen and to or to experience some kind of new ideas, some um some um, you know, around around football and the delivery of football. Mm. And d- so, d- for d- example, we're going to have a leadership panel. We're going to have an athletes panel. You, you oh, know, there will be speakers from a range of different sports. levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do, are you involved with the FA at all? Or yeah, yeah, we've we've worked with the um, you know, we've worked with the FA in the past. Um, you know, so we know their equalities team um you you know we don't kind of like have a formal working relationship with at the moment with them at the moment we we kind of have done in the past but certainly you know we um you know we are involved in some of the some of the work that they do but i think ultimately you know ultimately i think one of the things that's important particularly about football versus homophobia as a campaign is that we remain independent And um, you know, because it's, I think it's really important that we are able to be critical friends of some of the organisations that deliver football in this country. You
1: know. Yeah, absolutely. So what? What do you, if someone's listening to this, I guess, you know, and they are, maybe they they've been involved in sport, they might, you know, they might not be comfortable with, you know, their sexuality, who they are, queer, gay, whatever um and they've stepped like you know i I stepped away from some of the things that i did i felt very uncomfortable about who i was my sexuality uh and i think i probably could have been a downside better than i was you know i was pretty good runner i was a pretty good athlete you know um you know i came second in my county championships and things like that but i wasn't comfortable with myself so i never really i don't think i went on and fulfilled my full potential um, but there was obviously other things going on for me, but just for anyone listening to this that, that has maybe stepped away or was thinking about stepping away from what, at whatever level they're at, you know, this isn't about just elite athletes or whatever, um, but whatever level, where
2: can they go? Where can they seek sport? How, you know, what, what would you encourage them to do? Well, I think one of the most amazing things about sport at the moment is that, um, is the growth of um, LGBT plus, or, you know, LGBTIQ plus yeah. networks in sport. Um, so for example, there's the Athletics Pride Network, yeah. that is, is, is literally a network of people who take part in athletics mm. in this country. So they are athletes, they are coaches, yeah. They are administrators. They are people from all levels of um, all levels of um, of the sport, you know, all the sports that make up athletics. And I think that those um, those networks are potentially revolutionary. So if you are in athletics, if you are in swimming, for example, at the moment, um, you know, there's also an aquatics network um there's also a, a network in horse racing so there are now these are uh, networks of people that are able to p- provide the most incredible sport for people within the sport from people within the sport yeah. you know? um, if they, if you are part of a sport and you haven't got a network going, then you know, get in touch with Pride Sports and we will put you in touch with the people leading on these initiatives in their own sports. You know, we'd we'd love it if there were networks across a whole range of sports. And actually there's um there's a um a network for baseball and softball as well that's recently formed. Sorry I've missed that they'll they'll be really cross with me for missing them off because they've done great work (laughs) for years. But anyway, um So, you know, for me, I think that that's going to be the real game changer for people, Mm -hmm. you know, because because those networks are full of people who know what it feels like, you know, Mm -hmm. they 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 know what it's like in their sport. They know how their sport works. They know what the barriers are. They've got some ideas about facilitators because they're still there. You know, and, um, you know, and I think having met some of the people who are leading those networks, there's a great level of empathy there as well. So you would never need to feel worried about approaching them. You know, there's some great people doing some really good work. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's way different from when. When we was kids,
2: (laughs) yeah, no, isn't it, Sam? And and you know, you you will not be alone. I mean, one of the things that we talk about, you know, that gets talked about in the media loads, and I don't want to to go into this, but you know, why we haven't got. A gay male footballer who 's come yeah. out you know um, and and equally, I would say, you know why have we only got one cricketer who 's come out in the last ten years? Why have we only had like a couple of rugby players who've come out in, in anyway mm. but so we 've got that whole debate, and one of the things that people don 't often talk about is about how people will have left their sport, people like you. Yeah. Who had loads of potential will have left their sport because of their discomfort. Yeah. Because yeah. of their discomfort, the, of those spaces being very binary gendered spaces. You know where you know you're supposed to behave a, as a particular way as yeah. a woman, or you're supposed to behave as a particular way as a man, or look well, really a certain way, well, isn't there? That's yeah.
1: How some, especially you yeah. know, female athletes, yeah. like, you know, if they're too muscular. Yeah
2: yeah Uh, totally totally i mean you know there, there was some research done a very you know about 10 years ago to be fair uh just a small study that was done in bradford by um a colleague of mine into the experience of lesbians and gyms and um and basically the the research found the research found that lesbians felt completely intimidated by um using about using gyms because they didn't feel that they would present as heteronormative enough. You know, they felt that they would be really visible, that, you know, they would feel really exposed because they weren't wearing the right sort of Lycra. You know, there were loads of anxieties. And and actually on a broader level, that's been borne out by some research that we've commissioned in the last few years that show that LGBT plus people experience far more intimidation and guilt about sport and physical activity than the population as a whole.
1: Wow. I can can relate to that. I really can relate to that. And it's how you're seen and how you're perceived or how we think we're being seen and how we think we're being perceived. Yeah. I was a tomboy, you know, uh, you know, so, you know, how I showed up, how I walked, how I talked, how I dressed, it was sort of, yeah, it was all a bit obvious and a bit uncomfortable and trying to, pretend to be somebody I wasn't and saying the right things, man, it's tiring and draining. And, um, you know, sport for me is, like I said, as a, as a young kid actually helped me massively because it was the only thing I was good at or, you know, and, and I didn't feel included in lots of other areas. We were the only sort of black kids in school um, there was other things going on for me personally, but um, you know, and then obviously, you know, thinking that, you know, my about my sexuality and I was very confused. Um, And sport was really like the one thing that helped me um, feel included, but also lifted my mood and my energy and made me, gave gave me a level of confidence. So it can be this amazing thing, can't it, sport? It can be transformative for you. But equally, if you feel like you don't fit in or you're not the norm or, you, you know, you don't present in a certain way, it can also be, a really painful place to be Sorry,
2: excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I and I think that's so true you know I suppose now over the years having spoken to a number of different athletes performance athletes I think one of the things that has been quite common for su- for some of those athletes is that um, actually their sport was a bit of um uh you, you know was a bit of a saving uh, place yeah. really. You know, I've spoken to more than one athlete who, you know, had the, was having a horrible time at school, um, you know, um, as a teenager, feeling bullied, feeling like they didn't fit. You know, th- and the irony being, these are performance athletes who just weren't footballers. Yeah. So they were totally picked on at school because they weren't part of the football team or didn't have any interest in football so they were like weirdos you know and then actually they went on to become Olympians you know or Paralympians so it's kind of like you know the, the the absolute irony of that but but you know they found um sport as their saving place and and I think, you know, so sport can be a safe haven, but it can also be a place that you're alienated from. And I guess some of those, those those athletes that I'm talking about are maybe, you know, the athletes who found safety in sport despite some of the, you know, the the language that was being used or some of their discomfort and, and um, you know, um, you know all the other things that we experience as, as young people um, in sport, and I think one of the things for me that's really that 's really interesting, Sam is that you know whilst we 're talking about s- sport a long time ago as young yeah. people, we also know um from recent insight that we 've done that young people are still having really negative experiences yeah. of school sport and physical activity so if we're expecting young people to progress beyond school sport we're alienating a whole load of young people at that level yeah you've them there then
1: you know how many amazing people or athletes or or lives could be saved could be changed you know yeah. off there and you're quite right about before you know we focus on the higher levels but grassroots really we need to stop the rot and the poison and whatever goes on at those levels yeah. first. Um, yeah. and, you know, we, you know, us sports fans. You know, when you, I, you know, I don't. There's not many bigger thrills than watching, you know, sport and and just seeing how these athletes perform. And you know, I'm I'm super inspired by anybody that gets involved in sport and that dedicates themselves to it. And you know. We're, we're missing that opportunity for these people, for 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 us to enjoy watching them and seeing them, and or, and for them to to feel good about themselves. And you know, if it's your daughter or your son or your, your niece, your nephew, whoever, you would want them to feel good. And sport is one way that they can do that. And and so I t- wholeheartedly agree with the grassroots level and being more focused there, and then. Of football, I and mean, obviously, football is the big sport that we always talk about. Um, but I do think that we need to, well, you're doing great, amazing things at those levels already. So um, I think that's where a lot of the work, you know, like say in schools, you know, I listen to my little niece talk and she's sort of 14, 15 about things that go on in school and sport and how, you know, in some ways, you know, you can talk about, you know, LGBTQ community at her school and it's almost like, well, oh, yeah, it we talk about the stuff, she's got trans friend and all of this, then on the other hand there is still that homophobia and there is still that exactly. name of bullying and bullying, it, it's very, it's more open but it's still, whilst it's like when I was at school, we didn't really talk about it, gay was used in a totally way, as it, was a, it was a, you know, it was a bullying term, whereas now they will talk about it and they're educated about it, but equally there is still that homophobia and bullying with it, so it's
3: well
2: I think, yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that's really interesting is that some researchers, there's been some research that's come out recently that talks about the disparity between attitudes and language um, amongst young men in Australia who play rugby. But I think there's there's also um, there might be some um, th- some findings that are international as well that include the UK. But what they found was that although attitudes have changed and that You know, young young people have much more diverse groups of friends than they used to have that young men in particular continue to use homophobic language in a sporting environment. And that they do that because they think that that's expected. And so it's not that they feel necessarily are feeling huge amounts of animosity towards. Uh, their gay peers but just that that's the language that's used by coaches you know and um, that's the language that's used by other peers and so they fall into line because everybody at that age wants to belong you know exactly. um, i didn't it myself knowing that i
1: was you know knowing who i was and you know i did it myself because you just you want to fit in you want to be included you're trying to form your own identity and you change to fit in with whoever, whoever you want to be part of, or whatever you want to be part of, you change and use the language as well.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think we need to do, you know, there needs to be much more work, I think, in school sport, because I don't know about you, but you know, I played hockey for my local school, I was quite good. So mm. then, one of my PE teachers knew somebody from the local hockey club. So I went to play there. I was in the second team. Then I was in the first team. Then I went to and did some county trials and mm. didn't get picked, unfortunately. But anyway, you, you <laughs> You're not know sure about that? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I wasn't good enough. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but you know that that was my route into sport as a child. Yeah and my thing is you know if school sport is still the route into sport for many young people yeah and uh, and our young people you know are feeling really excluded from those spaces young trans non-binary people feel like they don't belong young lesbians are still being you know are still being having to face stereotypes you yeah. know young gay men are still having to hear homophobic language used you know, then, then like you, you know, we are going to lose our young people. And, and that's borne out by some insight that we've, we've undertaken um, in the last few years that shows that the most popular sports for LGBTIQ plus people are walking, running, cycling, swimming, and going to the gym. Wow. And the thing that's common about all of those sports is they're individual sports. Yeah, and they're all yeah. completely anonymous so yeah. nobody necessarily knows who you are you know maybe a bit more scrutiny in the gym maybe a bit more scrutiny swimming yeah. but those those sports are the sports that as a community we are more drawn to because we can be anonymous in those spaces yeah, you, know, you know i i i'm not running at the moment because of an injury but don't go there you know i i generally i generally run to keep myself fit and i do a lot of walking and because i live in a rural area you know nobody you know that i i generally just see sheep so it's like nobody nobody cares who i am or knows who i am nobody's like looking at me
1: I'm a runner as well, you know. I, I run and it, like, say, a solo run, you, you know. Uh, you know, I had many years of like wanting to join a running group or, or this group, but I was always like, you know, we've got to
2: come out again. And you got, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So I'm no, a Totally. And, and what you've just said, Sam, is so important, isn't it? I've got to come out again and that's the other thing isn't it is that people tend to think coming out is like a one-time thing yeah, oh no. yeah i came out when i was 20 i came out when i was 15. no actually we no. come out every single day or yes we do
1: i wrote an article for um i can't remember the name of the magazine but i spoke about it there and, and i think one of the questions is about coming out i'm like look you don't come out once you come out you know new job new friends you know, I don't know wherever you are. All yeah. these social situations, effectively, you have to come out. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah totally. of times, if not thousands. Yeah, um, totally. and if you're not comfortable, like for me, who wasn't comfortable with with that, and you know my sexuality and being gay, I, I didn't. So you know, and I'm a social person. I lo- I'm an extrovert. I love people. I get the energy from people. But I think there has been many situations that I've gone into. That I've just felt like, well, I don't really want to go because I feel like I can't be myself. Um, you know, and you can apply that to everything, you know. Yeah, like, totally. You know, it's only totally. now that actually, in the last couple of years, really, properly, properly, up, I know I'm fucking badass. And I don't care what you think about the color of my skin, with my hair, or my sexuality. I'm me, I love me enough. And it's taken a hell of a long time to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't want that for other people. I think that's probably one of my messages is that yeah. I don't want it to take you as long as it's taken me to almost transform myself, to allow myself to be myself. And I think one of the things I'm really, I'm really conscious of trying to talk of ages, which is great. Um, but one of the things I want to touch on is that when we can't be ourselves, how the hell can we perform at our best? How can we be our best?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there are, um, you know, there are increased kind of like numbers, uh, uh, increasing stories that we hear now from performance athletes who, when they have come out, you know, adults, I'm talking about, you know, when they have come out in performance sport, they have been met with a huge amount of support. So. It's not that that homophobia goes away, you know, if, um, you know, we look, for for example, at at Colin Martin, who's a footballer in the United States, you know, he experienced some homophobic abuse last season, this season um, on the football pitch. But since coming out, he he was when he came out, he was inundated with positivity, you know um so yeah i think we've got um there are you, you know we've got more and more athletes now who come out who are able to be their authentic selves and who are saying that that's had a positive impact on yeah, them absolutely i mean I why wouldn't it sorry go on no i just said and why wouldn't it you know
1: why no, exactly it? you know and that's a big bit about the work that i want to do going forward it, you know i i'm i'm a life coach I use that term loosely, but it is kind of there. Um, but I, I, I'm about helping people be transparent in order to get the best out of themselves and the best out of life. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for, right? You know, we're on this planet to be who we are, to get the best out of ourselves, and have the best life that we possibly can. And I don't. And, and if you can't be yourself, how the hell can that happen? Um, and then you know that plays out and filters into other areas of our life, sport, work, business, or whatever, relationships. Um, so I'm a, you know, that's a big bit about what I want to do going forward is support. You know, now I support mostly business people, solo entrepreneurs, ambitious people, but I want to do that in a sports arena for sports people. Um, because you know, because obviously, like you look at the elite sports, they've probably got sports psychologists and all of this and whatever. Um, but I, I, I absolutely want to help sports people show up in the world as who they really are because I know how freeing it is. You, you, you know, you're you much more energised, your performance will improve. You know, you look like, look, like I'm re- I think I read something about um, Robbie Rogers when he sort of came out and he came out obviously towards the end of his career and then got signed to LA Galaxy and all of that. But he said he'd wished that he'd done it like el- the, the 11 years previous of his career that he'd done it then because there was no greater feeling, you know, than than playing. And by being himself, he felt he performed better and he enjoyed the latter part of his career when he was out way more than he enjoyed obviously the previous yeah. years and going yeah. down at the end of the game knowing that his partner was there, his son was there. He said, I just played so much more freely. Um, so and surely, you know, if we look us sports fans anyway, and just humanity, human beings, we want to see people be the best that they can be. So yeah. we have to, you know, create an environment where they can
2: yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And I just think, yeah, you know, we, we use Robbie Rogers a lot in the education work. Do Football, yeah. 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 Um, of course, he's probably one of the only few examples, really. Well, yeah, yes, absolutely. But also he's a really great example because of what you've just said, you know, cool. that he he was, you know, in the UK, you know, on loan from Leeds, um you know feeling like his career was over you know feeling like he fundamentally couldn't be a gay footballer that that those two identities could not coexist. So, like, left the game, and then, you know, and then, as you say, signed for LA Galaxy, next season they were in the MLS playoffs, and he was a core part of that team. I mean, what an incredible story. And and he's very articulate. (laughs) So, you know, he's done so many interviews. Yeah, no,
1: he interviews well. He does speak well, which, yeah, you know, I just hope, you know, going forward that, you know, we can, you know, I'm a massive football, you know, fan. I'm tennis, football and athletics are probably my three top sort of sports. So, you know, and and I love golf as well, actually. Um, And I just hope that I see the day when it, we we don't have to have these conversations because it's just everyone's included. Come as you are, whoever you are, you'll be included. Just come and enjoy the game, whatever level you're playing at. Um I, I hope that that day comes, and you know football frustrates the hell out of me. I love it, but it you know men's football, especially um yeah. I love the women's game I'm enjoying the women's game way more now um I'm an arsenal fan, and it just drives me mad you know football and you know like you know obviously I'm black as well, so the racism now seems yeah. to be worse almost I don't know if it's worse or it I don't know you know i've always i've never wanted to and this is we're going off tangent here, but you know for me like. I always wanted to go to football and I played football in my early 20s as well. Um, but I didn't like the environment. You know, it was mm. just very hostile and the abuse that you'd hear. And I don't want to hear racism or homophobia or but, you know, we don't. But, you know, for me, that stopped me going and enjoying yeah. live sport, which I'm a massive fan of going and watching live sport. I love watching tennis. I love going to live golf events. Um, but I wouldn't go to football because. hate I knew what it was to me it was just racist homophobic it was all of it and and I never went and enjoyed it so we're you know maybe we're also preventing people from going and enjoying live sport and and fans going along as well as much as participating
2: yeah definitely I mean definitely definitely I mean (laughs) you know I suppose um you, you know because i'm i suppose on social media i follow quite a lot of lgbtiq plus people and then they retweet what other people say and there is still you know a, a lot of negativity within the community about sport and particularly about football yeah because of people's really early negative experiences you know it's kind of like i mean football i think it's absolutely unique because it, it's not just it's not just um lgbtiq plus kids who feel left out of that it's anyone who can't play yeah um, it's or it's anybody who doesn't know you know who played, who won the FA Cup, and scored how many goals in 1974? You know, <laughs> it's like one of those incredible sports where you've got to know everything about it to yeah. feel like you, you know, to feel like you can contribute, which is yeah. just, you know, it, I, I think it's, um, you, you know, it, it's one of those things. I think because it's our national sport, you know, kids, boys, you know, get a, uh, uh, you know a ball put at their feet from year dot yeah girls tend not to as much if they do it tends to be either that they come from you know families where parents are really conscious of their girls trying a whole range of different things or if you if you listen to the stories of a lot of female successful footballers they've got older brothers yeah you know so they've played, therefore, been exposed from an early age. But you've got, you know, you've got that kind of culture within football of, like, toddlers being given a ball, you know, and kicking it and, you know, and jumpers for goalposts. And, and all of that stuff's lovely and wonderful. But you get into primary school and immediately, you know, it's so competitive and, and so, you know, and marks children out and ah. Yeah. You know, I used to coach girls football for a, a long time oh, did you? and so yeah yeah yeah. So I played football as well. I missed that out of the story before. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when when my um, my eldest daughter's 26 but when she was about 8 um her best friend wanted to start up a football team. So her dad set it up, but he was kind of like, Well, I'm not gonna be the bloke running the girls' football team, so I need a woman. So who do I know? Oh Lou, she used to play football, so he wrote me in. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I and then I coached um that team. I I coached three teams over about a, yeah. about a period of about 12 years or something. And um so I had lots of experience of football and so so. The stuff you're talking about is a
1: particular bugbear of mine as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's getting yeah. again. It's about getting in at the younger, you know, in schools and educating and young. Because there's there's just this, you know, this culture, isn't there, around football and you know masculinity and all of that. And, you know, we
2: could, yeah,
1: not hold it for hours, but you know, we've still got that culture in football about, you know, that it's this masculine sport and you know all that banter and. Um, and then there's still this secrecy, I guess. There's, you know, if you if you you are, you know, a, a gay man or LGBTQI person, you know, there's that secrecy and shame, I guess. Um, you know, how do we get rid of that? And yeah. I, it's education, it's grassroots, it's, you know, yeah,
2: it's all of those things. But I do think I do think, kind of personally, that um, you know we need, you know. Uh, you know, there are issues with physical education in this country and about how it's prioritised, in my opinion. Um, And I really feel that we could be doing more work with children in primary schools. So, for example, one of the things that I used to see um, at my daughter's primary school, um, and um, my youngest daughter particularly, was you know, there wouldn't be a great deal of PE in primary school. But then what they would do is they would bring in these coaching companies to deliver um, after school activity. And my youngest daughter was very sporty. Um, and um, so she would, you know, so she would go and, you, you know, she would participate in that. And you would absolutely just see, you know, that these, these private coaching companies employing young men who'd just left school, who'd got, like, one of their coaching badges and they would just set kids up to play football. It was 99.9% boys. um and they would set them up to play football and then i would just see them standing on the side of the football pitch texting you know and just letting the kids do what they wanted to do and i just think we are doing such a disservice to children if that is their experience of sport and physical activity you know i I mean i've worked with some fantastic fantastic young coaches and i know there are some amazing coaches out there but You know, we need to really be beware of, you know, coaches who pay, you you know, coaches being paid minimum wage, you know, no travel expenses and being expected to show up and deliver quality, you know, sport and physical activity to children, you know, I just um you know, I, I think there's a load of work to be done there and a load of work to be done with the young people who are delivering sport around how to make sport more inclusive, about mm. how to challenge homophobia, how to challenge racism, how to create positive environments, you, you yeah,
1: know. Yeah, I, I, I've got a friend who has a sports uh, uh, company, a uh, coaching company like that, and he goes into schools. Uh, thankfully, they... He's got some really great young coaches, men and women, um, girl, you know, young, youngsters. They are sort of early twenties generally, um, mm. but he delivers a great empowering brief. You know, he, they challenge him sexism, racism, all of the isms. Um, so yeah, it is a, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's a great, he's a great young man actually. He's only young, but he's got a great business, and he, yeah, I love what he's doing, empowering young kids, and he firmly believes in that. And yeah, so. Well, Great. We need more companies like his, and, and we do. <laughs> we really do. It's so important. It's so so important. So I'm really conscious of time, uh, Lou. Uh, sadly, because I've got oh, like a whole bunch of questions, but I'm don't think I'm going to get to ask ask them. So I guess maybe let me just ask you this: what what would be what would you think the one question that I haven't asked you would be the question that I should have asked you? What do
2: I think it should be?
1: Yeah, like you you know that one question you think. Why didn't she ask ask me that? Well, that would have been the best question to ask me.
2: Uh, um, Gosh. I'm I'm so rubbish at thinking on my feet. (laughs) Me too. I always ask people that and they're like, I don't know.
1: Okay, maybe I have asked you. But all right. Um, Well, I really just want to thank you. Oh, one thing I wanted to say to you is actually you were on the women. uh, You were a... uh, in the, hang on, I wrote it down. the The visible lesbian, the hot, the top one hundred group is. It? I forget what they
2: call it now. Um, <laughs> well, I, did, last year I was in. I was in the on the list for Lesbian Visibility Week. That's right? the one. Yeah, 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 I was. I was, which was great. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, how
1: what, you know, what did you think? You know, what do you think about things like that? Did it make you feel good? Did it? Did it sort
2: of open up anything further for you? Um, the thing about it is, Sam, is to be honest, LGBTIQ plus sport is a bit niche. Yeah. So, um, so within, we're in, though practitioners like myself or my colleagues at the sports in Scotland, we're in a bit of a kind of funny position because we are representing a community and working on behalf of a community that largely feels alienated from what we're doing yeah so you know so there isn't always a huge amount of support from within our own community for the work that we do so in my opinion lists are a funny old thing because somebody's always missed off you know I've been left off (laughs) (laughs) I've been left off lists you know and and that's (laughs) fine. but uh the good thing i think for those of us working in sport is it draws more attention to the work that we do from the community we serve so for me being on the the lesbian visibility list was a great thing for for two reasons the reasons i've just said but secondly because um also i think that um without going into a load of stuff at the moment um, there are attempts afoot to divide the LGBTIQ plus community and particularly to draw um, to create divisions between lesbians and trans women and um, And one of the things that's constantly being said is, oh, you know, um, lesbians are not given a voice. Lesbians are being made invisible by trans women, which is completely, completely untrue an absolute load of nonsense. But one of the things that is true is that lesbians have not necessarily had a voice, you know, the the experiences of gay men are always prioritised. So, for example, you know, um, all the conversations are always about gay men coming out in football, you know, and we might think that women's football is an easier environment to be out, I'm sure that it is. But mm. it's only been really recently that we've even wanted to discuss those issues. You know, we've yeah. even wanted to talk about the women's game or women coming out. So, mm. um, so I think things like the lesbian visibility list are really, really important because it's really important that we celebrate lesbians, whether they're trans, cis, non-binary, you know, whoever we are, it's really, really important that we celebrate diverse identities across the LGBTIQ plus community and not just the identities of gay men, basically. And, um, you know, um, uh, and that's my bottom line. So, yeah, I think I I was pleased to be on the list. I was, I was honored to be on that list. Uh, Good,
1: good, congratulations.
2: Well, well, it's been wonderful
3: so talking
1: to you. Thank, Thank you so much. I, I do, like, I've got a whole bunch of questions, but I <laughs> try to keep the podcast like less than an hour, i not <laughs> um, Thank you so
2: much for having me on, Sam.
1: No, it's it's been an absolute joy, and uh, keep up the good work. I think what you're doing is amazing um you know yeah it's just incredible i feel i feel like i need to up my game don't your lands up
2: old before your time i think <laughs> I am, I am, I am.
0: you've been listening to it starts with you my name is sam adams thanks so much for tuning in If you'd like to find out more about me, then you can visit my website, sam-adams.com, where you can find information about my coaching and my speaking. If you're interested in finding out more about the podcast and future guests, then please visit our Facebook page, It Starts With You, and also our Instagram page, It Starts With You podcast. Thanks very much and have a great day.